Yes? It's that mute button again. All right, we'll get the hang of this eventually. It is good to be in the house of the Lord together. He has called us here to be together and to gather around his word and to worship him. Uh, Let's turn back to Philippians 2. We heard part of that already this morning as we were singing. We heard uh, verses 1 through 11, but let's pick up with Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and let's just read right through the end of the chapter here. Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. For even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about him, about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I know how things are going with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you will be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for me the help you yourselves could not give me. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for speaking. And we're relying on your spirit today, Lord, to be our teacher. So Come, Holy Spirit, come and help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. You probably all are familiar with Yogi Berra-isms. I can't remember if I've 
said some of these to you before, but every time I read these little phrases that Yogi Berra came up with, these sayings, they make me laugh. They make me laugh. I came across some again this week. Yogi Berra said, he was a, a baseball player and coach for many years, for those of you who may not know. He said, I never said most of the things I said. <laughs> and a, he said a lot of great things. Here's just a few of the good ones. If people don't want to come out to the ballpark, nobody's going to stop them. <laughs> just think about that. A lot of the things you said, the more you think about them, the deeper they get. Here's another one. It gets late early out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or how about this? You've got to be very careful if you don't know where you are going because you might not get there. Right, exactly. And here's one of my favorites. It ain't the heat, it's the humility. <laughs> now that, my friends, is profound, right? It ain't the heat, it's the humility. <laughs> because humility, who really wants that, right? I mean, we love that quality in other people. Oh, he's a humble person. But when it comes to putting it on our own to-do list or our own agenda, oh, we might rather have humidity or heat than humility. Humility is a tough sell. We live in a world uh, that is focused on gaining power. And that's, that's always been part of the human condition from right back to the beginning of the history of humanity. There's a story about uh, a guy who was out in a restaurant and he uh, happens to run into none other than Bill Gates. And so he goes up and introduces himself and, you know, sir, it's, it's an honor to meet you. My name is Jack. And they, they uh, shake hands and chat for a moment. And, and then Jack says, you know, Mr. Gates, um, I'm going to be in a business meeting with some of my colleagues over in this corner of the restaurant here. And... It would be so cool if you would just walk by at some point during that meeting and say, hey, Jack, like you know me. So Bill Gates, being a guy of good humor, he says, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So he walks over during the, the, the meal and, and says, hey, hey, Jack. And Jack looks up and goes, Bill, not now. I'm busy. It's probably an apocryphal story. I've heard it applied to other uh, leaders and CEOs as well, but it underscores uh, a great point. We always want to look more powerful and impressive than we really are. It's just part of the human condition. We love those rags-to-riches stories, don't we? They're part of our American culture. People who can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, people who, you know, started out with nothing but an idea and a little space in their garage and now are billionaires. We love those rags-to-riches stories. But does anybody love a riches-to-rags story? Those ones aren't quite as moving, are they? A riches-to-rags story? You know, the earliest Christians knew about the greatest riches-to-rags story that was ever told. And in Philippians 2 that we read this morning, 
there, there is evidence that it is among the oldest and most precious themes of the Christian faith. This story of Jesus going from riches to rags. Let's dive into this story today. One of the greatest stories ever told. If you don't have Philippians 2 open, I encourage you to just open that up again in front of you. Philippians 2, we, uh, we heard a little bit of it read already this morning. He says, in your relationships with one another, starting with verse 5, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, having all the riches of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's that humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, he was in very nature God, it says here. He was God himself. But he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. That's riches to rags. That's humility. And this reality is really at the heart of our faith. It's, it's at the heart of, of who we are as Christians and what, what our faith is all about. It's really at the heart of, of who God is. A Wesleyan scholar Scott Jose says, uh, Philippians 2 helps us to see that Jesus had to give up a lot in order to join us on this fallen planet. At minimum, he had to give up the glories and the splendors of heaven in order to live in a world where there's indigestion and stubbed toes and dirty fingernails and backaches. <laughs> but he also had to restrain his power and, and restrict his location to just one place at one time, give up his omnipresence. He had to give in to the limitations of his body by eating when he was hungry and sleeping when he was tired. He had to limit himself. When I was uh, in college, I spent a semester abroad in Costa Rica, and I lived with uh, a Costa Rican host family, and it stretched me in so many ways. After I spent four months there, and after several weeks there, I started to realize why I felt so frustrated a lot of the time. During the week, I would go to classes with other students and be nice and independent, you know, take the bus all around the city and go to my classes and do what I needed to do. But on the weekends, I would spend the whole weekend usually with my host family. And after a while, I realized it's like being in kindergarten again because I can't really understand what the grown-ups are talking about. <laughs> My Spanish was okay, but it's different learning from a book than actually having to use it. 
So I would be seated at the adult table when we would go see grandma and grandpa and, and the aunts and uncles over the weekend, and I couldn't really follow the conversation. I had food put in front of me that I didn't really know what it was, but I just needed to eat it. I, uh, we would go travel places, and I didn't really know where we were or when we were going back or what the schedule was. I just got in the car when they said get in the car, and... Even television, the shows that were for adults were pretty hard for me to follow. So I ended up watching kids' TV a lot. For some reason, Little House in the Prairie was wildly popular there. <laughs> From the 70s, this was the late 80s. It was really kind of fun to watch the Ingalls family speaking Spanish, but... But it was frustrating, and I was only like 19 years old to be demoted to the, the, the role of a child in so many ways. That's just one tiny drop in the bucket of what Jesus did for us. He demoted himself. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. Perhaps we sometimes forget what kind of sacrifice was required of God's son, not just at the end when he died, we think of that a lot, but just to live our life here on earth. Jose puts it, Scott Jose puts it this way, day after day, Jesus had to endure the work of Satan trying to stop him. Day after day, Jesus had to look into the eyes of people he had created only to see not even the faintest gleam of recognition that their own sovereign creator was standing right in front of them. Day after day, Jesus had to live on a planet that he himself had lovingly shaped at the dawn of time, only to see all around him signs of decay and death and pollution and sorrow. He made himself nothing Paul sings here in Philippians 2. And he did it out of a humble love that, that just takes our breath away when we really look at it. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get the hang of the incarnation, just imagine how you'd feel if you woke up one morning to discover you had turned into a garden slug. He gave it all up for us. And you know, this is written in most translations in, in our Bibles, like, like it's the words to a song. If you look at, at, at your Philippians 2, are verses 6 through 11 written like, like verses almost, like poetry or the words to a song? It's probably because it probably was one of the earliest Christian hymns, one of the earliest Christian songs. And it's interesting to look at how it's constructed. Verses 6 through 11, which are really the, the hymn or the song about Jesus, um, are divided into two sections. Verses 6 through 8 talk about what, what uh, Jesus did for humanity. And then verses 9 through 11 talk about what God did for Jesus. It gives us the greatest story ever told. He gave it all up. For us. And you know what's so interesting? This, this isn't a theology textbook, Philippians. These sound like really 
big theological concepts, and they are, but Philippians is not a, a theology textbook. It's a letter. If you read the whole thing and you get a little bit more of a sense of that in the rest of chapter 2, where Paul is talking about uh, people that they know in common and some of the, uh, the history that they have together and some of the hopes and dreams that Paul has to get back together with them, you get the sense here that this really is a very personal, warm-hearted letter, not a dry theology textbook. We're spending uh, four weeks here in this letter, this book of Philippians, and uh, we're looking at, at how life looks different through the eyes of the Christians here in Philippians. We're calling it Flipped, Life Done Better. And each week we're going to really just dig into a book of, uh, a, a, a chapter of Philippians and look at how it has such amazing relevance for our lives today. In this letter here, Paul just is very open about the, the love and the affection he has for the Philippians and how he appreciates their concern for him so much. Their relationship goes back to his travels in the region, and you can read about it in the book of Acts, how they welcomed Paul and they welcomed the gospel that he preached, and a, a little group of believers started uh, growing together and uh, some of the challenges that they faced and now here Paul is writing to them after he's left and is in prison later. And he's continuing to um, <clears throat> appreciate their support and their encouragement. And you notice all through Philippians, the tone is one of familiarity, of love, of confidence, and, and uh, how much he appreciates them. We sense how the gospel has turned strangers into friends in Philippi. And if you read in Acts, you see this great cast of characters that are so different that God has knit together into one body of Christ, one church, one group. We have Lydia, who is sort of a, an upper-class woman, a businesswoman. And we have a slave girl who is demon-possessed. And we have a Roman jailer and out of these three and the people around them, this new church formed three people who could not be any more different. And yet, there's this beautiful sense of unity and love together in this church in Philippi. But then it seems like Paul is worried. He's worried because he's gotten news or gotten word that there are some conflicts brewing in this young community. If you look back to chapter 1, in verse 27, and uh, verse 2, 14, and then in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, you can see little bits of the story emerging. And so he's, he's responding to these, these uh, reports of conflict by asking them to take an even closer look at, at the gift they have already received, to take that gift to heart, to translate the the theology, the high ideas here, into action. Paul is so good at that. So we have this amazing hymn about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, how he emptied himself. 
He humbled himself, and then God exalted him above all else. And then Paul seems to sort of say, so? So what? (laughs) So what do we do with this? Which is a great question for us to always ask when we encounter the scriptures. So this is what it says. So what? So what do I do about it? How does it affect how I live? Knowing that the God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, emptied himself, humbled himself, did this for us, what does it mean for me? Well, Paul helps us with the answer here. He says it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. He says, if we believe what we believe about God affects how we treat other people and how we live together as the church and how we live together in this world. Look at how he starts out this chapter. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, he's sort of saying, if any of this journey of faith, this relationship with God really means something to you, then verse 2, then make my joy complete, and here's where relationships come in, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition Or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, he says in verse 5, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Losing your mind. That's what he's talking about here. Losing our own mind and having the mind of Christ replace that. Losing your mind. You may be saying, thanks. Yeah, I already did that. (laughs) I saw a little thing this week that said, I hate losing things, especially my mind. (laughs) But there is a a sense in which um, as we follow Jesus... He does help us lose that old self, that old way of thinking, the old things that we used to think were so important and replaces it with the things that he loves, the things that he values, and the things that he knows. It's that process of sanctification that Pastor Bill talked about last week, slowly making us more and more resemble Christ. Let the same mind be in you That was in Christ Jesus. Paul presents a picture here of a God who yields power instead of wields power. And he challenges the Philippians to embrace God's story as their own story. And and he says that, that Christ shows us the way. He shows us the way to live with other people. That God has always been a God of love and relationship, a God willing to suffer humiliation and death for the sake of reconciliation. 
and restoration. And he says this works its way out in how we live each other through humility. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's challenging, isn't it? That's challenging. He says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. That's really upside down, isn't it? That is the opposite of the way that everything in our world trains us to, to act and to believe. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Well, how does that affect how we live in our everyday lives? Because that's challenging, isn't it? You know, over the years, I have known many church people who quit serving in a ministry or who left the church altogether because they didn't get the recognition that they felt they deserved. And I'm not pointing fingers because that desire is in all of us. That's our human nature. To not want to think of others as more valuable than us, but to want us to to be at the top of the pile, right? But Jesus challenges us here through what he did for us. It helps us to know when we feel that way, whether that's an attitude that should be nurtured and protected and helped to grow, that attitude of resentment that we didn't get recognized the way we deserved, or whether that's an attitude that we should keep giving to Christ and asking him to change. And Paul's very clear here. He says that kind of attitude has no place in the body of Christ. That's challenging, isn't it? That's challenging to all of us. He tells us that we can lose our old self, our old mind, and have the mind of Christ replace that. You know, when we are in a situation where there's been some kind of breakdown in relationship, and this happens in all kinds of relationships, through friends or family or within the body of Christ, I think what Paul is saying here is that if we have the mind of Christ, then we will be the first one to go and try to bridge that gap. That we will be the first one to apologize. That we will be the first one to try and bring healing to relationships. That's what the mind of Christ means in practical terms. That's what it means to value others above yourselves. To not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, it's challenging. But it's not our own strength. It's the mind of Christ working in us. I do have to say, if you are in an abusive relationship, I'm not saying to just keep submitting to that, to stay in that relationship, to not go and, and, and remove yourself so you can be in a safe place. That is a really different situation. And I know sometimes when we're trying to be humble and submit to others, those lines can get blurry. When do we stand up for ourselves and when do we 
just act humbly. That's why we need each other to bounce these things off of. If you're in a relationship where you're wondering, is this healthy or not? Talk to a, a trusted Christian friend or, or talk to Pastor Bill or me. We would love to help you work through that. So I don't want you to hear that this is sort of a um, permission to just um, abuse or be abused. But most of us could let that mind of Christ work through us and let humility be the hallmark of our lives in, in ways that, that we haven't even really considered yet. We all have room to grow here. Janet Hunt, the uh, Bible scholar, says that that word you in let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus is actually plural. He's, he's talking to a group of us. And that's really important here that Paul isn't saying, each of you go do this. He's saying, together, we can do this. Together, as the body of Christ, we can do this. We can grow in letting the mind of Christ grow in us together. Rob Fringer says this, we must walk in the way of the cross because this event is more than just an action carried out by Christ. It exemplifies the core of who our God is and the core of who we as God's people are to be. Humility. That's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Life done better. To give up power. To embrace humility. The way to find real connection with God and with each other is through this kind of humility. Because pride separates us from others, but humility connects us to others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, you may say, well, okay, how? <laughs> how? I mean, that's a pretty big item for the to-do list, don't you think? It's not a to-do item. Look at that first word, let. 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 Not do. Not change yourself. But let. Let God do the work in us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We let it happen. We allow God to do this work in us. Later in chapter 2, in verse 13, Paul reminds us of this. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, to fulfill his good purpose. And you know that same pattern that we saw in Jesus, how he humbled himself, emptied himself, and then God exalted him. That same pattern will be happening in our lives when we let the mind of Christ work in us. Later in the New Testament, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will exalt you. When we walk the path that Christ walked, the, the path of humility, the path of mercy, then he gives us everything we need, connection with each other, 
connection with him, and he will lift us up in his good time. Are you ready to lose your mind? God's plan for us is wonderful, and it's perfect. And what better place to lose our own minds and welcome the mind of Christ than at this table. This exemplifies for us what Jesus did for us, how he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And as we get ready to share this meal together, it's important that we are unified with each other, unified with God, and we want to come to the table with open hands, just letting God have whatever it is in our lives that needs to be cleaned up or taken away or fixed or, or, or moved. We want to let him do that work inside of us. So we have a prayer of confession that will be popping up on the screen. And I invite you to pray this together with me. But hear this call to confession first. Do people see God when they look at us? Do they hear Jesus' words of welcome and hope when we speak? Do they see the fresh spirit acting in our lives? In these moments, we must be honest with God as to how we have not lived up to our calling to be God's people. So let us pray together. There we go. Nope, that's the words to the song. Maybe we don't have that. Well, let's pray together. I'll pray aloud, and I invite you to pray along with me in your hearts. God of glory, grace, and wisdom, you've made us in your image, but we do not always show your gracious face. We are called to follow you, but honestly, we get fatigued by the stresses of our lives, and we often do not have the energy or enthusiasm to follow you. And when we see the Spirit standing with the oppressed and the outcast, we too often turn and walk the other way. God of humility, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. 